Hello and welcome to Arthur Pentecostal Assembly. My name is Justin and I'm the Family Ministries Pastor here. I'm so glad to see people tuning in for Church Online today. Some of you might be wondering why I'm welcoming you to Arthur Pentecostal Assembly. I mean, the majority of us are in our living rooms this morning. And maybe you're watching this later on after the live stream is over. And I, I totally get that. We haven't been meeting at our physical building location for the past couple of weeks. And now culturally, we have become pretty used to referring to the buildings that churches meet in as churches. But in reality, the buildings aren't the churches at all. They're just the meeting places. And this morning, and for the time being, our meeting place is here online, but that doesn't change what we are at all because the church is the people who gather not the place they gather in. So again, if you're new or returning, I want you to feel welcome here at Arthur Pentecostal Assembly. I'm super excited to be sharing with you this morning part two of our Hope Arise series. In a time like this, when so many things are going on around the world, you know, our lives are being tossed upside down and there really isn't a precedent to follow, it can be hard to know what to do. For us as a church, especially, gathering as a group has been a practice we've never thought we'd have to avoid here in North America. But when things like this happen that change our routine so drastically overnight, I'm often drawn to looking back at the early church in the first century, the church that is described in the New Testament. This church is described in the New Testament book of Acts specifically, and I like to be reminded of what we as the church really are about and how the early believers let hope arise in their own context. It's important to note that for early Christians, life wasn't all happy-go-lucky. And while the struggles they faced were certainly different than what we're dealing with today, they had their own problems to face and reasons that hope might not have been the easiest thing to have all the time. In various places in the ancient world, Christians had quickly become victims of persecution due to their faith in Jesus. and even right at the birth of the church, they experienced quite the emotional roller coaster of events. You know, they had gone from the high of seeing that Jesus was God, that he was the one they had been waiting for to establish God's kingdom on earth, to seeing him die on the cross, and then back up to seeing him raised back to life, and then again down as they saw him ascend back to heaven, leaving them on earth to continue the work that he had started. It's a lot of ups and downs, regardless of whether a person had seen those events firsthand or not. And there would certainly be a decent amount of uncertainty as to what to do next in those circumstances. There's a passage in Acts 2 that describes what the church initially looked like in the New Testament directly after Jesus ascended back to heaven. Now it describes what the believers did and it says this. It says, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need, and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Here, several things are listed as activities of the church. And yes, many of them have to do with gathering together. 
But we do have to remember that in that context, in-person was pretty well the only way to gather. You know, they didn't have telephones, video conferencing, and even writing together wasn't as fluid, easy, or accessible as it is to us uh, today through social media, email, and even the good old postal service. The thing about our context, however, is we don't need to gather in person because we have platforms like Facebook Live, YouTube Live, Zoom, FaceTime, Skype, and the list can go on and on. There's something aside from gathering that is mentioned more than once in this passage, though. In both verses 42 and 46, the act of breaking bread is referenced. Now, what does this mean, though? Is it simply cutting bread and eating it? You know, if so, it's pretty obvious that they were doing that. Everyone needs to eat. But this term specifically, breaking bread, might sound familiar if you've read the Gospels before. It's the same term used when it describes the Lord's Supper, also known as Communion, also known as the Eucharist. Now, I'm sure most of you have seen the painting The Last Supper by Leonardo da Vinci, and it's a cultural icon that was inspired by this very event. Not only does the early church take part in this activity of communion, but it seems to be an extremely regular occurrence. Before we go and look into what communion is exactly and what the significance it has for us today, we're going to go to the Gospel of Luke and read the account of the Last Supper there. You know, this event was recorded in three of the four Gospels. It's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But the reason why we're going to go to Luke today is because Luke is the direct prequel to the book of Acts that we were just looking at. The author of Luke wrote this as a two-part narrative, first showing the events of the life of Jesus, then showing the events of the beginning of the church. We can find the Lord's Supper in Luke 22, verses 14 to 20. It says, and when the hour came, he, meaning Jesus, reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Now, there's a lot here in this passage. Jesus talks about Passover, a new kingdom, but he also talks about the bread and the wine representing his body and his blood. The first thing I want to talk about today is the why behind taking part in communion, as well as some of the symbolism that is present in the elements of communion, the elements being the bread and the wine, or alternative great beverages. Now, this event of the Lord's Supper is something that the church around the world still participates in today. And the way we participate in it is through somewhat of a reenactment of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. If you're new tuning in with us right now and you've never been to one of our communion services, the way we normally do this is by handing out small cups of grape juice and a little piece of bread or crackers. And we read one of the passages that records the Lord's Supper and we eat the bread and we drink the grape beverage together. 
Some churches do this a couple times a year. Uh, a year. Some do it every week on Sunday. Uh, typically, we do it on the first Sunday of every month. But you might be asking, why do we do this and what does it mean? And those are totally valid questions. You know, the simple reason as to why we do this is that Jesus tells us to do it in Luke 22:19. Slightly longer explanation of why we do it also comes from the same verse because Jesus says to take communion in remembrance of him. So we take communion to remember the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We remember that God lived as a man, that he lived a perfect life that we couldn't manage, and that he died on our behalf on the cross, suffering so that we can be eternally forgiven of all of our sins. This forgiveness brings us back into a right relationship with God. Now, this whole event has meaning, meaning wrapped up in it as well, though. In our church, communion is a symbolic action. It is something that God has given us to do physically, to remember the common hope that we have, and in part be of something, be a part of something that happened a long time ago, which in turn forms a unity throughout the many Christians across the world and through the generations. So often we can get all caught up in our heads. Um, this is especially true in theology and things of faith. And I'm not saying that it's bad to think, to question, to develop theories, to formalize thought. But sometimes I know, for me personally, I can get so stuck in endless thought that I lose sight of all practicality. And I think it's so cool that God has given us not only the Bible to read and think about and discuss and meditate on, but he has also given us a physical action like communion to take part in as a person of faith, to remind us of what he's done for us. Communion is also an act of unity within the church. You know, despite all the differences between Christians and denominations in belief and practice and thought and even how and, and when and why we do communion, because each of us in our own way, all Christians around the world, take part in this event at some point through the year, it's a unifying and binding thought. And that's why in our church we practice what is called an open communion. That means that if you're a follower of Jesus of any kind, you are welcome to join with us in the celebration of communion as we take part together. The elements of communion are also symbolic. The bread that we use is meant to represent Jesus' body that was broken on the cross, uh, on the cross for our, our behalf. The wine or grape beverage we use represents the blood that was spilt for the forgiveness of our sins. Now, at face value, these can seem to be symbolizing the same thing. But the broken body symbolizes the pain that was endured, and the blood spilt signifies the death. You know, without the death, there is no forgiveness of sins. But the fact that God would endure such pain on our behalf shows how deep his love is for us, that he would humble himself to not only die, but also feel the pain, shame, and torture of crucifixion. But even more than that, just like we need food and water to live, Bread, in most places in the world, is one of the most foundational staples of necessary food. And wine, in many instances in the ancient world, was the most assured, clean drinking water you could have. So, just like we need food and water to live, we also need Jesus' sacrifice of himself to live full lives as well. It's no coincidence, though, that Jesus chose common items that would be present at every meal to use as a reminder of what he was about to do for us. He used these commonplace things that we would be so that we would be reminded frequently. 
You know, even in that passage in Acts, it says in verse 46 that the church broke bread in their homes, meaning that it's not something that was always observed necessarily in a formal setting, but it was done by regular people in their homes, often to show unity and remember the gift that Jesus gave them of eternal forgiveness and new life. The event that Jesus uses to do this with his disciples is particularly important in communicating the hope that was intended through the event, though. Jesus does this at the Passover meal. For many of us, this might not have that much significance, but the Passover is a Jewish holy day where they remember when God released their ancestors from slavery in Egypt. Communion signifies the release from captivity, and the captivity we acknowledge release from is, uh, when we do this, is release from the captivity of sin, and sin is separation from God. In this current season we are in, it can be hard to have hope and see the light at the end of the tunnel. And I've been through many times taking communion where the remembrance of Christ felt more like a funeral service than anything else. But it's specifically important in a time like this to let hope arise. And the greatest hope we can have is the hope that is found in Jesus. Jesus says to do communion in remembrance of him. And while we remember him and his sacrifice, our hope doesn't come from his death. Many people have died, like literally billions of people have died. But Jesus rose from the dead. And not only that, but he rose himself from the dead. It's the resurrection that gives us hope. And it is the resurrection of the crucified Jesus that we remember when we take communion together. The resurrection couldn't have happened without the death. But the focus in our minds should be the resurrection. We should remember the result more than the process. But not only do we find hope in communion by looking back at what Jesus did, we also find hope in looking forward to what Jesus will do. In Luke twenty-two sixteen, Jesus says that one day we will eat this meal together with him in the completed kingdom of God. So we also turn our eyes forward to the fully redeemed creation that is coming when Jesus comes again, free of pain, of sickness, of disease. Before we get to go to take communion together, I want to invite anyone watching, um, if you wouldn't consider yourself a follower of Jesus and you haven't ever asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, but you'd like to, if you'd like to enter into a relationship with the one who made you and loves you more than you can possibly imagine, I invite you to pray this prayer with me. And if anyone at home who's done this already, I encourage you to pray this along with us in solidarity as well. So you can repeat after me. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross. I acknowledge that I have made mistakes and that I have sinned. Thank you for taking my sin that I couldn't deal with alone. Jesus, I want a relationship with you, and I ask that you would come into my heart. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer with us for the first time, that prayer is, is just a first step, and I encourage you to send a message in our, into our page, our profile, uh, send an email to myself or Pastor Roy at justin at myapa.ca or roy at myapa.ca. Message the friend who shared this with you or invited you or leave a comment and someone will connect with you because following Jesus isn't something that is meant to be done alone, but is meant to be done in community with other believers. So in the spirit of community, I wanna welcome you to the table of the Lord's Supper as we take part in communion together. I'll give you a couple of moments to get your bread and great beverage or alternatives if you, if you don't happen to have those on hand um, together with your families. And 
we'll be reading from Luke 22, 19 and 20. Luke 22, 19 says, And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. And it continues. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Let's drink the juice together. God, thank you for this opportunity that, that we have to join together online, even though we can't meet in person. God, we thank you for the, the gift that you've given us through your sacrifice on the cross, that you died and rose again, that we can be forgiven of our sins, that we can be in relationship with you again, God. God, we thank you for, for practices like communion that that stir faith in our hearts, God, that give us uh, a practical action to, to take part in, to, to join with you and, and the Christians past and present in unity and in, in worship of you, God. God. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for 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 everything that you've done for us, God. And, and we, we, we pray right now for the people who, who are, are joining us, who have uh, prayer requests of their own, God, who have, who have needs, who have uncertainty, who have... Uh, worries that that they're dealing with God. God, we lift up the frontline workers of of, of this uh, coronavirus pandemic. God, that the the people who work in the hospitals, the doctors, nurses, uh, the uh, people who who are delivering essential supplies. God, the the workers of other essential services such as grocery stores and food preparation. God, that that you'd be with them. God, that you would protect them from from this pandemic. God, uh, and we pray for those who who are sick and, and those who, who have yet to be diagnosed, God, that, that your healing hand would be upon them. And we pray for, for hope to arise in, in our hearts and the, in the hearts of this world, God, that, that you would, that you would show, show the world your light through this darkness. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're so glad that you joined with us for Church Online today. Uh, we would love to have you join with us uh, continuing as we move on to a uh, time of worship and song. We've been provided with, with this worship and song through uh, by some friends at Movement Church in Woodstock, and we're so thankful for that. So you know, turn up the volume, uh, get ready to sing along, and we look forward to seeing you again throughout the week. Mm-hmm.